So we get to do this thing called faith together. And I just wanna ask one simple question. Why church? Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm one of the ministers here at PCC. Good morning to you. Yes, absolutely. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two is where we're gonna be. If you're joining us online, uh, welcome. I'm glad that you are here. Fair warning to those of you watching online, I might just step on your toes this morning, but now you have been warned and you will be okay. Uh, for the last few weeks, we've been walking through this series as a church through the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. That's the latter portion of your Bible. And it's this letter to an ancient church written by a guy named Paul. And so we've talked about how the Christian life always starts with sitting. That before we ever talk about what to do, we always talk about what has already been done for us by God through his son, Jesus. And so we talked about sitting under God's grace and sitting under God's power. But now for the remaining weeks, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about walking, that there are actually some things we do as Christians and we walk the walk of faith. So we're going to talk about walking in light and walking in love. But today we're talking about walking together. We're talking about walking together, specifically how important it is that we are like physically here present as the members of God's family together, not just here in rows, but it's also important that we're together in circles and smaller groups where you're looking people in the eye. They know your story and you know theirs. And we want you in, in large group and in small group. This is so important because God has saved us to be a family and to walk this walk of faith together. And you know, we've learned a lot of things um, about online ministry and the, the digital services and all that kind of stuff over the last couple of years. One of my favorite things about the online service is that a lot a lot of you who are watching right now, maybe you've never even been in this building before, and I think that's cool. So maybe you're watching right now to figure out like what kind of church this is before you decide to come. Like, is this a weird church? And I hate to break it to you, but yeah, it is a little bit. Um, but, but we're just a group of normal people, and we have normal lives and normal problems. But the amazing thing is that we have found that life with Jesus is so much better. Uh, life with Jesus is forgiveness and his power inside of us, knowing that you are loved by your Father in heaven and adopted into his family. So we get to do this thing called faith together and we love it. So we're talking today about walking together. And I just want to ask one simple question this morning. Why church? Why church? And I think if you ask that question, you'll get, you'll get a variety of answers. You ask some people, you say, hey, why church? And they'll say, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual. I have a faith, but I just kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about organized religion to which I'd say, well, yeah, you know, but if you actually come, you'll figure out we're not all that organized. Like, I promise we're not. <laughs> so don't worry. Um, and other people, you ask, why church? And they'll say, you know, I, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm a Christian. It's just kind of a thing that's between me and God, though I like to go for my walks, listen to my music. I got my preachers and podcasts that I like. And there's, there's a place for that, hear me. But they kind of treat church like I treat working out. Um, because, because I work out religiously. By that, I mean, I work out like twice a year around the holidays, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you ask some people, why church? And they'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm at church every week. I tune in online, I got my stuff, and, and it's just a little easier, you know? You're at home, like I get to sit by my dog, I got, to, I got my coffee on the couch, and, and, and I'm thankful for the online services. One of the things that we've learned, though, for the online services the last couple of years since we kicked that off is um, it's really good for helping us stay engaged when you're, when you're sick or you're snowed in or you're traveling. It's a really good front door, 
but it's a really bad living room, if you know what I mean. Like, it's good for you to get a taste of who we are as Plainfield Christian Church as your first step into this family, but it's a really bad place for you to stay because your spiritual life cannot survive on an hour's worth of content on a screen every week. It just can't. And, and we know that that's not enough to sustain you. And church is so much more than content. Church is community where we're walking and worshiping together as we serve the Lord. We're talking about worshiping and walking together today. But as we're asking this question, why church? I also want to just acknowledge the elephant in the room this morning and call a spade a spade. Because the fact is that some of you here have been really hurt by the church and by people who claim to be followers of Jesus acting in God's name. And they've done some really painful things to you. And you've gone through hard things through the church. So, so why church? Why bother? And you know, the church has always been messy. It's not like we just messed it up. It, it's always been a messy thing. In, in the New Testament, which is the latter portion of your Bible, the story of Jesus and the story of the church, we see 15 churches in the New Testament by name. 15 churches, and they are in the cities of Rome, Jerusalem, Crete, Corinth, Thessalonica, Galatia, Philippi, Colossae, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Antioch. I just pronounced all those correctly. Please be proud of me. I'm proud of myself, okay? Thank you. Thank you. And of, of those 15 churches that we see, all but two of them have messages written specifically to them in the New Testament. And every single one of those messages is written because there's a problem in the church. The reason we have these letters is because there are issues in these churches. For example, just as, as a couple things, like in the city of Corinth, the church was squabbling about diets. Imagine people fighting over what you eat. Incredible. You know? and, and they were squabbling about issues of sexuality and what a worship service should and shouldn't look like. And, and then in the city of Galatia, the church was splitting and they were dividing people up into first-class Christians and second-class Christians. And then in the city of, of Thessalonica, that church, they were so convinced that Jesus was going to come back any day now that they quit their jobs and they just sat around and they spent their time uh, arguing and pontificating about what kind of cloud Jesus might come riding back on. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. And, and, and so when I hear people say like, oh man, we got to get back to being the New Testament church, you know, I'm like, hold on. You don't know what you're asking for. Like heaven help us. We have the New Testament because the New Testament church was as messed up as we are. Church has always been a messy thing. Every letter in the New Testament was written because there's problems in the church. Every single letter, that is, except for one. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Now, this is the letter we're going through here as a church right now. And as far as we can tell, this is the one letter in the New Testament that was not written to address a problem. Instead, it was just written to paint a picture it's like Paul has a blank canvas and he's saying, here's, here's what the church could be. Here's, here's, with God's help, who we could become and what we could do. And so as we ask this question, why church today? I wanna look at the letter of Ephesians with you. But as we dive into God's word, would you first join me in prayer this morning? God, we love you. We thank you that you are a living God um, and that you do turn graves into gardens. You're a God of resurrection. We love that. We believe that. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us by ourselves, but that you gave us the church so that we can do this thing called life and faith together. And we are not a perfect church, but I'm asking, Lord, that you would make us more like you today, that you would speak and that we would listen. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen, amen. Why church? Why church? I want to give you three answers to that question. The first one is this. It's a big phrase, but hang with me. Because the mystery of the gospel is reconciliation. 
The mystery of the gospel is reconciliation. We'll unpack that in a little bit. Hold on to it. We're going to come back to it. Way back in the very beginning of time, God made the very first, he made the whole world, right? And God said, it is good. And, and you can't even get hardly past page one of your Bibles, though, before you figure out that God's plan for us as human beings is connection, God's plan is connection because God makes the whole world and he says it is good, but then God makes the first man and his name is Adam. And God looks at this man by himself and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. The very first not good thing in the whole world was this guy by himself. God's looking at Adam. He's like passed out on the couch. There's pizza boxes everywhere. You know, he hasn't done his laundry in a week. And God's like, it is not good for this dude to be alone. We got to figure something out here. And so God decides to split the Adam. Thank you. I'm a dad, in case you didn't know that, all right? Um, and so God takes Adam's rib out, and he uses it to make the first woman, Eve. And, and then God looks at these two human beings that he has made, that he has connected together, and he says, for the very first time, it is very good. God's plan was for us to be connected but then you, you probably know the story. It wasn't very long before Adam and Eve, they stopped trusting God. They started living for themselves. They started living selfishly. And so sin came into the world. And with sin came division and separation and conflict. And something happened to Adam and Eve's connection. All of a sudden, they started hiding. And they started blaming each other. And not just their connection with each other, but their connection with God. It, it was broken. You see, sin brings division. That's what happened. And, and it wasn't just Adam and Eve. It trickled down through their family. One of their sons killed the other son. And so from then on, in every family, it's been the same old story. God's plan was connection, but sin brings division. And, and we've all experienced this, haven't we? Every single one of us in here this morning has some kind of relational dysfunction in our lives. We do. I don't, maybe you have a, a strained relationship with one of your kids. Maybe you have a marriage that's just low, slowly growing more distant. Maybe you've got that annoying coworker or the boss who mistreats you. And ultimately, at the root of all of our relational dysfunction, it's not just different personalities. It's not just the communication breakdown. The root of it is that I have sin in my heart. And so does that other person. Sin brings division, that's what it does, and you scale it up at a national level, and we have wars and political division and conflicts and all these things. You see, God's plain's connection, but sin brings division, so then that means then that the good news, the gospel, is that God brings reconciliation through Jesus. Uh, take a look at what the gospel does to, or to division here in Ephesians chapter two, but actually before we begin, let me give you just a little bit of backstory to give you some context for Ephesians chapter two. Paul is writing here to the first century church, there's Jews and Gentiles in the church. What that means is that in their minds, the whole world is split up into two groups of people. That on the one hand, over here, you've got the Jews. And the Jews, they are God's people. They're all descendants by birth of this guy named Abraham. They have a long history of God ruling and rescuing them. And, and the Jews, all the, the male Jewish men, were marked as God's people by circumcision. That's how they knew they were in. And if I'm a Jewish guy, I'm thinking, like, can't I just get a bracelet or a name tag? You know, can we do something a little bit easier? But, but that's, that was their deal. And everybody else who was not circumcised, everybody who's not a Jew, you're not part of God's people. You are a Gentile. Now, most of us in the room this morning are probably not of Jewish descent. Most of us are Gentiles. And, and, and so the Jews thought the Gentiles were kind of just the scum of the earth. 
Like you, you would not go into a Gentile's house. You wouldn't eat with a Gentile. You wouldn't touch a Gentile. If a little Jewish boy grew up to marry a little Gentile girl, that Jewish boy's family would have his funeral because he was as good as dead for them. In fact, Jews went so far as to say that God only created Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. Serious stuff, right? And so Jesus walks on the scene in the midst of this racial division and Jesus says, hey Jews, you got one part right. You are God's people, but God didn't choose you so that you could discriminate against everybody else. God chose you so that you could show the whole world how good he is and how loved they are. But you flunked at that, and so now I'm inviting everybody into God's family. And now here we are in Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 and 12. Look at what Paul says. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's us, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. A lot of us can remember times in our lives when we were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And how many of us this morning could tell stories of being without hope and without God in the world when we were separate from Jesus because sin brought division between us and other people, but most importantly, between us and God. But the good news is, verses 13 and 14, look at this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now that's good news, no matter how you shake it, but Paul's actually tapping into a historical reality there. He's referencing the temple. Now in the Jewish religion, the temple was kind of the heart of their worship and how close you could get to the temple itself, how close you could get to the presence of God depended on who you were. So here's your little map of the temple. There was an inner courtyard that only the priests could go to. They could get closest of anybody. And then there was a courtyard just outside of that that only the Jewish men could go to. And then there was a courtyard just outside of that that only the Jewish women could go to. And all of those courtyards were on the same level. But then you could descend four steps. And then there was this platform with a big wall around it. You could kind of go through a door in the wall. And then you'd go down 14 more steps. And then you'd get to the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, that's as close as you could ever hope to get to the temple. That's as close as you were ever going to get to the presence of God. That's it. And there's a big wall keeping you out. And all along that wall, there's signs telling you what's going to happen if you try to get through that wall. In fact, we've discovered archaeologically some of these signs. We've dug them up here. I think we have a picture of one of the signs. Anybody fresh on your Greek? You want to read that for us? I'm not either, so let's read it in English. Here we go, okay? The, four, the sign says this. This is an actual sign from the temple. It says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who's caught doing so will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. A dividing wall of hostility. This was serious stuff. So this is an incredibly radical thing. Imagine that you're a Gentile. You've never been able to get close to God, never been able to get into the temple. And now look at what Paul says here when he says that the wall has been broken down by Jesus. Like this is good news. Now there's no limit on who can get close to God. And not only that, you don't even have to go to the temple anymore, he's saying. In fact, God's presence is in you, church. You are the temple, he says in verses 17 through 22. 
He says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. (laughs) Imagine, read this with your Gentile eyes. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God's plan was connection, sin brings division, but the good news is that Jesus brings reconciliation between us and God and us and each other. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're feeling like the wall is still up. Like maybe you're feeling like, I don't even know how to get to God. Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe there's some real relational brokenness in your life. You're feeling like there's walls up between you and other people. And, and the Bible says, yeah, you're right, there is. It's a wall called sin, but that Jesus has already broken it down and he can break it down for you too because the good news is he can reconcile you to God and to the people around you. And this is good news for us this morning that God restores the connection that we lost. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 6. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's us, so let's read it as we, through the gospel, we are heirs together with Israel. We are members together of one body. We are sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, the word mystery there, That's not talking about like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. In the Bible, when you read the word mystery, it just means revealed plan. Say revealed plan. plan. Means that God's revealed plan from all of time was reconciliation, to bring you back to himself and to restore your relationships with his people. Why church? Because God made us to be reconciled. That's good news. That means in the church, there's no walls. There's no walls between political parties. There's no walls between backgrounds. There's no walls between social class. There's no wall between people groups or genders or races. There's no walls in here. That's a good thing. And that's why today, the church is the most diverse movement in the world. Um, Most religious movements throughout history, uh, their geographical center has kind of stayed where that religion was founded. So they might have followers of their religion all over the world, but the geographical heartbeat of that religion has kind of stayed near where it was founded. For example, in Islam, you have the Middle East and you have Mecca, right? And then then, uh, for Buddhism, you have Thailand and most Hindus are still based in India and Eastern mysticism is still largely based East. But the radical thing about Christianity is that the geographical center of Christianity keeps shifting. So cool. Like it started out in Jerusalem, And then it kind of migrated over to the Mediterranean area. And then it actually went down to to Alexandria and Egypt and and North Africa and was there for a long time. Then it migrated up toward Rome. And from there, it went up into Europe. And then the center crossed the ocean, came over here to North America, and we were the center for a while. But then in the last century, in the 20th century, everything down south exploded. And so Christianity just took off in Latin America and South America and Africa. And actually, last decade, we crossed a major milestone so that now more than half of the Christians in the world live in the southern hemisphere. We aren't the center anymore. God is doing amazing things across the world. Because the gospel is reconciliation, no more walls between races. This translates to every single culture. And so today, the oldest continuous Christian communities in the world are in Iraq. 
And they got there hundreds of years before Islam did. And in 1979, like way back in the dark ages, um, I'm sorry to those of you who were alive then, uh, way back in the dark ages, 1979, in Iran, there were only 500 known Christians of Muslim descent. And today, within your lifetimes, today, there are hundreds of thousands and they're the fastest growing Christian movement in the world. By the year 2040, at this rate, 40% of the world's Christians could be in Africa. By the year 2030, that's just eight years from now, at the rate the church is growing in China, there will be more Christians in China than in America. And by the year 2050, if they keep growing at this rate, China will be a Christian majority country. Can you imagine how that would reshape the way our planet looks? Like, praise God, let's pray to this end. God's doing amazing things because the very heartbeat of the gospel is reconciliation. No more walls. Everybody's invited. And if the mystery of the gospel is reconciliation, then that means the mission of the church is unity. The mission of the church is unity. And the sad reality is that a lot of us know from experience, there's been a lot of times the church has messed that mission up. Now, we have a lot of good stories throughout church history of, of when God's people have modeled compelling gospel unity. You know, I think of stories like um, Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany who refused to go along with Hitler's racist agenda. And I think of, we referenced them a couple weeks ago, uh, Desmond Tutu in South Africa who brought healing to a divided nation. And I think of Billy Graham in Atlanta, Georgia, who went down and, and personally removed the barriers that were separating the blacks from the whites at his rally. We have some really good stories throughout church history. We just don't have enough of them because we also have really bad stories. Like in 1787, here in our country, uh, when a black man worshiping in church here in America went and had the audacity to kneel down and pray in the whites only section. And, and before he even finished his prayer, before he even said amen, they picked him up and they dragged him out and they threw him out on the street. And the next day, that man went and founded the African Methodist Episcopal denomination. And today, there are thousands of those churches around the country and they're thriving by God's grace. Praise God, I'm thankful for them. But they are there as a testament to the fact that we have often failed at unity. And, and some of you know this from, from your own personal history because it's not just racial division. I mean, there's generational division and, and preferential division on what we think church should look like and, and be. And some of you know this, that you have been hurt by people in your life who claim to be followers of Jesus and spent their time building walls instead. And that kind of division, that kind of disunity in God's church is an abomination in the sight of God. That's why Paul practically begs the church here in Ephesians 4 to prove the gospel by remembering unity. Ephesians 4, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you. He's begging them. He says, he says I, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. What is that worthy life, Paul? He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, notice there what Paul says and what he didn't say. He doesn't say, go get unity, work hard for unity, achieve unity. He says, keep it. You know what that means? That means that Jesus already achieved it on the cross. He already bound us together in unity. Our job, church, is just not to mess it up. <laughs> You think we can do that? And here's why. Paul says, why unity? Why church? 
Because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And because there's one God, he's creating for himself one people. Not two, not seven, not 12. He's creating one people for himself. Look back at Ephesians chapter two. Paul says that when Jesus died, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, a whole new way of living out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So the heart of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel is reconciliation between us and God, between us and each other. And then the mission of the church is unity, a kind of unity that the world's never seen before. Uh, if you're a, a football fan today, you probably know that this afternoon is the Pro Bowl. Uh, if you're not a football fan, that's okay. Uh, the, 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 the Pro Bowl is this game toward the end of the season in the NFL where the best players from around the league all come and they get together and they play a game to show off their skills and stuff. And so they've got uh, one team wearing red jerseys and one team wearing blue jerseys. And it's kind of cool in theory, you know, got all kinds of players from all over the country and, and today they're gonna come and they're gonna be together and they're gonna be unified. And, and that's how it looks on the surface, but there's a catch with the Pro Bowl, each of those players is still under contract with their home team. And so even though, yeah, they're wearing red jerseys for a day, they actually all still have the logo of their home team on their helmet. And so honestly, I think the Pro Bowl is kind of boring. Like it's not a very good game because their primary allegiance isn't to the red team, but to the Baltimore Ravens or the Buffalo Bills or the Carolina Panthers, (laughs) as if any of them actually made the Pro Bowl, right? (laughs) And that means, you know what? They're not gonna give it 100%. They're not gonna go hard on every play. They're not gonna make every tackle. They're not gonna lay out for every catch. Because yeah, sure, it's fun to get together one day and and play one game, but my, my, my primary allegiance is still my team. We're not the Pro Bowl. We could have some fun in the room today. We we could split up this room a thousand different ways, you know, by, by your opinions and stuff. You know, we could, we've got Democrats and we've got Republicans. We've got uh, old people and young people. We've got new believers. We've got lifelong believers. We've got IU fans. We've got Purdue fans. We've got people who root for a team Jesus actually likes. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> some of you got it. <laughs> we could split up the room a thousand different ways. But when we became Christians, we laid all of those other identities aside. We left those helmets at home. And we said, nope, I'm in Christ. That's who I am. That's it. There's no other team I play for. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you know how when we are in Christ, we put the the dollar in the book and we said that when you follow Jesus, you're in Christ and what is true of him becomes true of you. The thing is, you're not in Christ alone. The book is stuffed full of dollars. We're in Christ together. And so we walk together, no other allegiances. He already bought unity for us on the cross. We just have to keep it. And I know that keeping is not easy because we have different personalities and different opinions and different ideas of what church should look like. And we have different experiences. But true gospel unity never comes from aligning all of our opinions. True gospel unity always comes through Jesus. I love what Paul said. He didn't just say that Jesus brings us peace. He said Jesus is our peace. Listen, we're not a perfect church. In fact, if you find the perfect church, please don't go there because you will mess it up. (laughs) We're not a perfect church because we're not perfect people. We never will be. 
I love it, our, our starting point lunches that Derek talked about. Uh, Steve would often say, hey, glad you're here. The fact that you're here probably means we haven't offended you yet, but stick around, we will, I promise. <laughs> and I will make that guarantee to you that if you hang around here at some point, we're gonna let you down. If you hang around here long enough, at some point, I'm going to disappoint you. If you hang around here long enough and if you're deeply involved in this community, one of your Christian brothers and sisters is gonna hurt you someday, maybe deeply. And my question for you is when that happens, will you choose unity anyway? We referenced Dietrich Bonhoeffer earlier. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this wonderful Christian leader um, in Nazi Germany in the early 1900s. He was actually killed in a concentration camp toward the end of World War II. And, and he wrote this incredible little book called Life Together, all about Christian community. I cannot recommend this book highly enough to you. It's a wonderful book. And in this book, Bonhoeffer talks about how each of us approach church. We all approach community with the dream of what we think that community should look like with this ideal in our heads of what that community could be. But actually, Bonhoeffer says, that dream often hinders us from loving the church for who she actually is. Bonhoeffer says this, he says, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. That means that for you and me both, someday our illusion of what this church can be, our illusion of the Christian relationships that we have will be shattered. Someday somebody's gonna hurt you and let you down and disappoint you, and in that moment, will you choose unity anyway? Will you choose to love that person anyway? Will you choose to keep engaging in community anyway? Because Bonhoeffer says this and only this is true gospel love. A love that is fueled by the gospel of reconciliation and the church's mission of unity rather than just being fueled by our opinions. Real love, Bonhoeffer says, always begins with disillusionment. Soak on that for a second. Real love always begins with disillusionment. And we know that from marriage, don't we? You get back from the honeymoon and life is all good, but then all of a sudden you figure out, oh, this is a real person and they have real quirks and stuff and life is sometimes messy. And like, that's when the vows kick in, right? Like that's real love. When you choose to love somebody for who they actually are rather than just who you wish they were. So I guess my challenge to you today is just the same one that Steve gave us a few weeks ago. Love the church. Just love her. Love the people around you. Let's maintain the unity that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So why church? Because the mystery of the gospel is reconciliation. The mission of the church is unity. And here's the third thing, because the message to the universe is that God was right. When you choose to keep loving, even in the face of disillusionment, when you choose to keep pushing in, even in the face of disappointment, when you choose the church, it sends a message to the universe that God was right. Here's what I mean by that, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Paul says that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why church? Because there are deep spiritual realities at play here. Heaven forbid, if we ever become a divided church, 
that sends a message to the world that God's plan to save humanity was pretty foolish. But a unified church, a unified church sends a message to Satan and his angels that their weapons of sin and death have failed to divide the people of God. And a unified church says that the death of Jesus, it was not in vain. That it actually did break down the dividing walls between people groups and bonded them together in a unity and a love that is deeper than anything the world's ever seen. And a unified church says to the forces of evil that their authority has been broken, that their power is done, that their final defeat is imminent. A unified church says that division may succeed over every other earthly institution, that every Fortune 500 company may fail and every nation may be conquered and the gates of hell will prevail over every institution on the planet except for one, the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that when the world sees that, When they see that kind of love holding us together over every line, breaking down every wall, then they will know. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Here's what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says the most evangelistic thing in the world is a unified church. A unified church. Really, Jesus? Unity? I can think of some better ways to save the world. Like, I can, I can think of some better ways to help the world. No, like, let's build a really cool big building that people will want to come to. Let's have a concert. Let's have a big event. Let's have some engaging preaching for once. Jesus, like, let's, let's, let's send money to missions every corner of the globe. Let's have better groups. Let's, let's feed the poor. That's, surely that's how we're going to win the world, right? And those things are good. But Jesus says No. A unified church walking together. That's how the world will know. And sure enough, that's how it happened. In Acts chapter two, when the church is born, it says all the believers were together and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So why church? Because the mystery of the gospel's reconciliation, the walls have been broken down and we were made for connection because the mission of the church is unity And because that sends a message to the universe that God was right. And he is, so let's pray. Thanks for not leaving us alone, Lord. Thanks for giving us a family to walk alongside. We believe that your plan is good and we fall short of it so often, Lord. We are in need of your grace. We're in need of your power. We want to be one as you are one. We also know we're not the only church here. And so we do pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world that your kingdom would grow in a way that the world sees as undeniably empowered by you. And we pray for our sister churches right here in Hendricks County. Lord, we we want them to grow. We want them to be like you. 
We're in this together. So I, I pray for the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church and for St. Susanna and I, I pray for uh, Kingsway and for Hazelwood and for Chapel Rock and for Mount Gilead and for Connection Point. Lord, we wanna be churches that are honorable and pleasing to you. We wanna be one as you are one so that the world will see your love in us and that they will know that you are good and that they'll wanna be a part of this. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.